Hey everybody, this is your host Matt Castellini and welcome to Chicago Capital. David, thank you so much for joining me on Chicago Capital. Really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I will let you take it from here and uh, give us a walkthrough of what Aloha does and what you guys are working on. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Aloha is a platform for outsourcing software development for startups. We got into this space because uh, we ourselves were looking to innovate. We wanted to build out our dev team, um, expand our talents and we couldn't afford prices of domestic developers, and we started looking overseas, and it was just a horror story. Uh, we we heard of every horror story that you tend to hear about, and being a team of, uh, we have three technical founders, we're a five-person co-founding team, and we were facing those pain points ourselves. So um, that was kind of a, a, a shocker to us. You know, if, if a team of technicals is still having troubles figuring out how to tap into a global network of, of talent, there's great devs around the world. Um, how is someone who who may not be technical or someone who isn't venture backed? How are they supposed to innovate? Um, you know, the the year was 2018 when we started, and the big question that was raised to us was, why is the most remote industry the one that we have the hardest time working predictably and efficiently with? It, it just didn't make sense. Um, and so that was kind of, that was kind of us that kind of you know sparked sparked the light bulb. Um, and our high level mission is to create a world where anyone can innovate freely. And we saw software development as the barrier to innovation. So is it full stack software development that you guys are able to to outsource? Would love to hear just the capabilities that you guys can bring to startups looking for your services. Yeah, definitely. So um, so a little a little more background on kind of how it works. Uh, so so we have a three-pronged process. Uh, the first is our partner network. The second is our platform. The third is the strategist. Uh, partner network, we vetted through thousands of firms around the world. We have qualified just 11 so far to be within our network. So really making sure we're working with the best of the best out there, doing that vetting for you. And we're working with firms. So relationship-focused, have the ability to scale up, scale down, handle any technology need, et cetera. Second piece is the platform. Uh, the way that man uh, projects tend to be managed today, you have the complexities of Jira or you have the simplicity of a chat thread. And both are horrible for software experiences overseas, especially when you have uh, non-technical clients or just someone who wants something quick, look at it, tell me the information I need and, and, and go. Um, Jira is very nuanced, uh, not necessarily non-dev friendly, so you know, not good for upper management, things like that. And uh, Chatthread, too easy for things to get lost. So uh, we built out Aloha Manage, uh, built for accountability, transparency, very easy to navigate, walk through, basically so anyone can manage their dev team. You don't have to be technical um, to manage your dev team and stay up to date and see what's going on. Um, we also have Aloha Pay, which is our payment platform. Um, that's how clients pay us. Um, that way, they don't have to deal with foreign transaction fees or exchange rates. We handle that on our side. The third piece of the puzzle is the strategist. And the strategist is really there to uh, make sure that we maintain uh, that aspect of humanity in the software development relationship. You see so many uh, services today really trying to automate everything. And what that does is it really just pulls all of that human touch out of it. And, and sometimes you just really do need that human touch to, A, make sure we're matching you up with the right firm. 
will be there as their account manager, help guide that process. But the most important and critical component uh, is that there is no global standard for software dev best practices. And so what you find, and the reason why there are so many horror stories is because you may have great recommendations for this one firm, but their dev strategies aren't conducive to what your dev strategies need to be dependent on where you are at as a company. And that's where you get a lot of miscommunication and gap. And so what the strategist does is we build out those custom dev strategies with the client, help build that out for them. And then we do an audit every other week to ensure that we're being preventative rather than reactive. And those dev strategies, that situation you were speaking about, I would imagine a case happens a lot where when you, especially when you have non-technical founders, they might not realize there's a misalignment until they are, the sunk cost just rises and rises. Is yep. that a problem that you guys really saw a lot and you are specifically, it sounds like you're specifically trying to solve that problem? A hundred percent. The thing with software is it's so complicated that if you aren't technical, like you, you don't know what you don't know. And unless there's someone who's there to kind of walk you through those steps and process processes, there's really no way you're going to figure it out. And it's unfortunate, but as it kind of serves today, too commonly, what you'll find is that someone starts working with the firm, there's no transparency, they don't have any understanding of what's actually going on. It's really important for us to always explain to make sure that clients understand what's going on, even if they don't understand it technically, theoretically, they can understand it conceptually. But too often you see clients who get kind of pinned up against a wall and now they're already 50K you know, in the drain with this firm and they feel like they have to stick with them, but they actually have no grasp as to what's going on and how things will go. And it, it just really stifles the ability for someone to innovate if you aren't technical yourself. I want to stay on Aloha, the core mm -hmm. business right now, just a little bit more. Curious about your guys' revenue model. You know, what are you charging and... How is that different from, are there other services out there today that offer something similar? And where do you rank in terms of what you're charging your customers and the differentiation there? Yeah, great, great question. So uh, the we, we have two methods of contracts. The first is going to be staffing and the second is going to be fixed cost. If you're staffing, think of that as like hiring through us. If it's fixed cost, think of it as you have a fixed scope of work and then we tell you how much that will cost. The average hourly rate, tends to be with India around $40 per hour, with Eastern Europe around $50 per hour, with Latin South America around $60 per hour. That rate is reflective of the dev's effort, but that includes the strategist, the platform, the vetting, the audits, everything like that. So everything is included in that specific dev rate. And so when you look at the comparison as to how we, you know, how we fare up in the in the market, we definitely offer more services. It's more of a white glove experience compared to the competitors being, let's say, like an Upwork, for example, where sure, they have a database of freelancers, but you have to interview them. You have to figure out who's the right person is to work with. And if you aren't technical, you probably don't know the right questions to be asking. You have to figure out how to be paying them, how to be managing them, all the kind of the whole gambit. And even with that, we still tend to be in the same price zone. We're a little bit more expensive than the average, probably around India. Um, if you're working directly to the freelancer, we're more expensive. But that price difference is going to come in the predictability in that you can still get that cost efficiency of that $40 per hour rate while knowing that your product is going to be built as to how you anticipate. Do you guys have a projection of lifetime value of your startup customers? Because I would imagine they do get to a point where they can probably, you know, or they look to 
bring on sort of a, a full-time CTO or technical co-founder? Or I don't know, are there trends out there that you're seeing where maybe some startups are realizing, hey, this service is great. It's working for us. It can get us to at least our series B, C. Maybe we don't need to bring on a full another hire and sort of dilute our ownership by offering equity to a new CTO or to a new executive member, or maybe we just want to continue sort of this outsourcing strategy. I know there's a lot in that question, but I'm just curious how you're seeing sort of the life cycle of these these startup clients and how it develops. Yeah. The beauty of working with startups is that every engagement can can be radically different, um, which, which makes it a ton of fun, um, right? There's so much variability in, in the different ways and strategies that, that startups go about things. Generally speaking, we see some clients who have a very short-term life cycle um, where they just say, hey, we need you to build this website and then they're good to go. We have other clients where it's you know two, three-year relationship where we're continuously providing them that dev support. Our mentality in terms of growth, right, it's really important to have a CTO, to have someone who's technical, who's there to help build that product roadmap. We're not there to build your product roadmap. We're not your CTO, but we'll build your tech and we'll make sure it's done in an efficient manner. So if you're a solopreneur or you know, co-founders who aren't technical, we're a great place to start and we can help build the tech. But I would still recommend bringing on a CTO at some point who can then take over that oversight. But what we'll commonly see for some of our, our bigger size clients or some of our clients that are more in the Series A, Series B, they'll expand their dev through us. So rather than going and, and continuing to hire more resources, especially if things are more project-based, they'll just do staff supplementation or augmentation through us to handle the, to handle their dev needs. Um, so curious about how your customer acquisition strategy, how you're sourcing these startup clients. Um, I'd love if you could expand on that. Yeah. So it, it started off really just with grit. Uh, it's just a ton of cold emails and cold calls. And, and that was really the, the name of the game at the beginning. One, one of our mentors actually gave some pretty good advice and said that when you're starting off as a company, cold calls and cold emailing, your metric for success shouldn't be how many deals have you closed. It should be how many conversations are you having? Because ultimately what your goal should be is just getting your brand out there. And every single person you speak to, that's one more person who now knows who you are. Um, so that was the very beginning, how we got, you know, a few clients here and there, but generally helped us start to spread the word a little funny story. Actually, our, one of our first clients, uh, one of my co-founders was driving Lyft at the time to, to try and get by and a passenger came in the car and they started chatting and he was, you know, talking about Aloha. Um, they turned out to be one of our first clients. So it's like, well, it's one of those, you know, great, great stories to, to tell. Um, but thankfully we've progressed a little from, from there. So we, we get a majority of our business through referrals, actually, which is really great as the business owner. It's just, you know, great validation as to what we're doing, that we're actually providing value. So um, that always is, is nice to have and, and warms, warms our hearts. Uh, we also do Google ads. So we started doing that about a year ago, generating some leads through that. We have a blog. So we've uh, released a blog about like once to twice a week. Um, we've been able to generate that up to about like 12,000 monthly unique viewers. Um, and so we started getting some inbound leads through that. So trying to just further ourselves in author as an authoritative voice. And then other things like 1871, as an example, like trying to be there, be a resource. I'm a mentor over there um, and just trying to be of help however I can. Um, you know, I, I'm obsessed with startups and the startup space and, and innovating and in technology. It's, 
it feels like a real life lemonade stand. Like it's, it's so fun. So I love just chatting startups and, you know, helping people out wherever I can. And so it's just really all about, you know, building those relationships and, and getting the name out there. I think too, for the, I include myself in this for the uninformed, uh, you know, non-technical people looking at this business or even potential customers you have. I had a founder on last week, Cheryl at IndieFit, and she basically talked a lot about the no-code tools or the low-code mm-hmm. tools that are out there. So I think, do you guys ever run in the situation where you know, you're talking to potential customers and they're saying, well, I'm hearing about Bubble, I'm hearing about these no-code, low-code options. How do you guys navigate those conversations? Where do you see yourselves as adding uh, you know, greater value prop, or is it even a, a comparison that I should be making? Yeah, no, it's it's a great point, um, and it's a wonderful thing. We, I love no code tools. There, there's a time and a place for everything, and and that goes the same with outsourcing software. There's a time and a place for outsourcing. We we've turned clients away and saying, listen, like you need an in house team. This is we're not the right fit for you. One one thing I love about my co-founders and our team is that we're very mission focused. Our our mission is to create a world where anyone can innovate freely. And if we aren't furthering that mission, then we're not doing our service. And so just because someone comes to us with a, with a gig, we're not going to take it. We're going to only do it if, if we actually think we're the right fit. And so for a lot of those earlier stage clients, we turn a lot of them away, actually, and we refer them to no clothes. So, you know, they'll say, hey, I really don't have much of a budget. This is the budget that I have. This is what I want to do. These are the functionalities that I need. And we'll say, okay check out these three no-code tools. You should be able to get everything you need in this no-code tool. It'll cost you only 20 bucks a month, whatever it be. Once you've built out that no-code tool and you've started doing a little bit more product market fit and customer discovery, and you feel as though you're in a position to sink a little bit more money into it, then we can talk about building out an actual platform. Because no-code tools are fantastic, but they can really only take you so far because you then are so dependent on the third-party functionality of that no-code tool. So there's a time and a place for everything, but it's a beautiful innovation and it's going to just keep getting strengthened. Like Webflow, as an example, is a glorious tool. Uh, We use it. We built our website on Webflow. I'm not technical. I do a bunch of our website stuff. It's fantastic. It's amazing. Highly recommend it to anyone looking for a website. You're making me feel so bad because when I went about building my Chicago Capital uh, website, I first started with Webflow and I was like, this is beyond me. <laughs> I, I, I went to Squarespace after the fact, but Squarespace is great. So your yep, recommendation yep. holds true for a lot of people. I'm <laughs> telling you guys, if you need 101, like the easiest possible way to build a website, website uh, I would say Squarespace, but I, Webflow, people love Webflow. Webflow uh it's not too intuitive. So uh, if, if you want to get into Webflow and you want to build a little bit more of a complex site on your own, um, you got to do you got to go through Webflow University. So they have, they have this course and you, you got to take the course and they walk you through everything. And then it then it kind of makes sense. But I'm right there with you. I was like when I first started getting into Webflow, uh, my co-founder, one of my co-founders was the one who did it. And I was just like, dude, I, <laughs> I have no idea what to do here. He's like, you need to take the university. I, like, right. I think I think if you're building it for like a business or a startup or a legitimate purpose, for me it was I need a website for this podcast and I need it yeah. fast. And Squarespace yep. is Squarespace, boom. The way I went. Knock it out. Knock it out. Um, well, that was great. That's so helpful. And I think especially, uh, I think a lot of people just hear no code, they hear low code, they hear outsourcing, and uh, it's really helpful. I think that was a great walkthrough of the kind of the options available to startup founders and non-technical founders. And I 
it's so cool how many options there are now and the reduction of barriers to entry for people to start businesses and they can sort of awesome. double down, they can double down on their strengths and, and really focus on what value they're trying to provide to customers. So I think that's great. That's so interesting. I would love to now focus a little bit on your guys' go-to-market strategy. And I know that yeah. Aloha Payments is is going to be a big initiative for you guys. So I'd love it if you could walk us through what you were working on on the, uh, on the payment side. Yeah, so... We ourselves were facing some pain points a couple of years back on the invoicing side of things. So we were using QuickBooks and it was taking us a while to collect. Everyone was paying credit cards. So we were eating all these credit card fees. There was no transparency, no control, and it was just frustrating us. And we kind of looked at the industry as a whole and it's actually pretty wild. The last time B2B invoicing was innovated was when email was invented really hasn't changed since. So like since 1978, which is when email was invented, invoicing B2B hasn't changed. You still send out the email and you've lost all control and you just have to wait for someone, your sales team follows up, et cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, B2C has had wild innovations. You have Amazon one-click pay, which generates them like 2.5 bill annually. They can control their uh, transaction fees. They can add their own late fees, their credits, referrals, whatever it be. So that was kind of, uh, you know, there's a gap here. And everyone we talked to, we started doing that customer discovery. Every single person we talked to was, oh, it's a business expense. You know, the credit card fee, it's a business expense. It takes a while to pay. It's a business expense. We're like, okay, we, we get that. It is a business expense, but that's dumb. It shouldn't, it shouldn't have to be a business expense. Like, there should be a better way to do this. So we built out Aloha Pay for ourselves. Been using it for the past like two and a half years, blew us out of the water. It 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 was spectacular. It decreased our collection times by about 70% and saved us last year over 20K on processing fees. And we had some of our clients in about October, November reach out and say, Hey, you know, can can we use Aloha Pay for our own agencies, for our own clients? And that's kind of when it hit us. We, we never really intended on spinning this out, but we we're like, okay people are asking to use it let's let's give it a shot so we're we're sassifying it right now and and the intention is to really disrupt the the b2b invoicing space the average small business is owed over $84,000 which is wild like that is insane liquidity for a small business to just be sitting out there because it hasn't been paid yet and you have those payment apps like Amazon Chipotle Starbucks that have the control they can do whatever they want. And so we're bringing that one-click pay experience, that ease of use to B2B invoicing. So automated email follow-ups, it can add auto late fees, it can do early pay incentive discounts, you can give clients credits to apply towards those invoices if they refer someone. They can pay via ACH, they can pay via credit card, you can put all the percentage on them. You can take it all for yourself. You can split it 50-50. Whatever you want to do, it's organized better as well so you can see the progress and process of everything. And it integrates with the QuickBooks and FreshBooks. So you can still use those for your accounting and everything like that. It's not disruptive to any other flow that you have. It's just giving you a more advantageous way to be approaching the invoicing space. I love your point on the consumer experience has improved so much over the past mm -hmm. 20 years. And this sort of falls in line with the B2B marketplaces in general and adoption for innovations and solutions like this on the enterprise side, for whatever reason, lag the consumer experience quite a bit. And I think it's a fascinating kind of development over the last few years where it feels like there have been more 
more and more emphasis on uh, bringing consumer, you know, consumer technology, consumer innovations to the enterprise side of things. Mm-hmm. Curious about the rollout of this product. What yep. does that look like over the next, you know, six to nine months? How soon will this be live in the market? If I'm a startup, when can I start utilizing this product? Yeah. So the the target market is for a business who has multiple invoices on a monthly basis. So if you're sending out multiple invoices every single month, then then this could be a viable solution for you. If you have only one invoice or you're more enterprise and have to be bound to the way that someone else is forcing you to do it, we may not be the best fit. Again, kind of the same thing as Aloa, like not trying to force it on someone who it isn't the right fit for. That just that just doesn't make sense. We're currently finishing up sassifying it as uh, one of my one of my new favorite words, sassify. And so we're we're just you know making it so it's a little bit more generic, so you can have that customization to make it adaptable to to really any industry and, and business. We should be done with the beta in about like three to four weeks. AloaPay.com. You can go there and sign up for the waitlist. So we're, we're building out the waitlist. We've been getting some decent traction. Um, we'll probably be closing that waitlist fairly soon, uh, maybe in the next you know two, three, four weeks, closing that waitlist. And then those will be our initial beta users who will be offering you know that discounted, whatever price it is, grandfather them in at that rate. So they can give us that feedback, iterate. And then once we kind of build out that feedback and, and we'll take it from there, keep growing and building it out and Hopefully, we can disrupt this B2B invoicing experience and help companies uh, de- in- increase their liquidity. Yeah. I, on the topic of the B2B invoicing experience, are there services that do anything similar? Has anyone tried to solve this problem in the past? Like you said, it's such a huge problem, and it's it's been consistent for so long. And part of me thinks that it's it's been such a pain point, but because it's a business expense, people just haven't been you know uh, motivated yeah. to solve this. And uh, just curious if that's your sort of your take, or if there are other sort of platforms out there that you've seen in the past try to do something similar. Yeah, no, I I think you're totally right. Like the the conversations that I have a lot, people people don't see a, a viable solution out there, and so they just chalk it up as a business expense. And then I kind of start to walk through the impact that it had on us, and then they're like. I would like that too. Uh, let, let let me know, and I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Um, there, I, there's of course competitors, right? Like QuickBooks, FreshBooks, Wave. They have their invoicing sliver. It's super monotonous. That's not why those companies were created. Um, those are more of the first mover advantage. They're just now doing everything and anything, and so it's a sliver of their business that they offer. But it's not really. It doesn't have that clean, sexy feel and look, and it's not really efficient. You have some other groups out there. So you have a deal. Deal just raised a ton of money, recent unicorn. They do international payments. So they're more on like the payroll side of things. So not necessarily as focused on the invoicing. And then you have other companies. There's uh, one called Melio. They do something similar, but they're actually coming from the opposite perspective. So they're coming from the consumer perspective. We're coming from the business perspective. So what Melio does is you as a consumer, you can pay any invoice to a business via their platform. You can pay via credit card, not have a credit card fee and still get the credit card points. Whereas what we're saying is that's fantastic, but as a business, that doesn't help you. You as a business need to have one organized, solidified spot where everything is automated, clear, easy. So you as a sales team don't have to be wasting your time on, on any of that. So we're approaching it from the business side. So Melio you know, could be great more for individuals paying invoices that are kind of more one-off here and there. 
we've found the greatest advantage of Aloha Pay being more for like agencies or even freelancers who have a lot of clients that they're doing kind of those continuous invoices. So you mentioned agencies. I, I guess mm-hmm. what size agencies, what size enterprises are you guys looking to target with this solution? Yeah, so it's it's really any size. As the as the agency gets bigger and, and works with more enter, enterprise clients, you know, it takes a little bit to disrupt an industry. So currently the status quo is if you're working with an enterprise client, you have to go through their procurement and accounts payable and all of that. So you'll probably still have to do that. You can still manually track and track everything in Aloha Pay. So all of your books and everything is still is still nice. But there's still definitely that that road to adoption that we'll have to overcome. So Starting off, you know, it's looking at more of those smaller size agencies, whether it be 10, 20 employees. I think our, we have one agency that's around 100 some employees and they're interested in, the, they're on our wait list to, to be using it. But a lot of their clients are a lot of startups, small businesses, uh, medium sized businesses. So it, it really depends on, you know, who are, who are your clientele? What is the typical process for paying your invoices? Do your clientele, pay you via the QuickBooks or FreshBooks or Wave, or are you forced to theirs? If they go by what you say, then this could be a great option for you. What does the, or what do you guys anticipate the onboarding time to look like for this solution? How long can, if I'm a potential customer, expect to get this up and running and use it in my day to day? Like 30 minutes. So we would jump on a call. We would white label it right there in front of you. So we add you as a user, we add your logo. And then basically all we really need to do is we need to make sure that you set up a Stripe account and a Plaid account. So that's another important thing. We're never actually touching your money. We will never touch your money. We'll never touch your data. It's always yours. All we're doing is serving as that interface. So it's your Stripe account. It's your Plaid account. So you always have your own data. You have your own money. No one's ever touching anything. So that's that's really the main part is us walking you through, making sure you set up your accounts. If you do have your account set up, then just making sure that we connect your accounts and then you're good to go. From outside looking in, I mean, this solution or this this sort of new initiative for Aloha is exciting because I think it has such a long-term viability to it. Once you are sort of ingrained with these agencies, with these solopreneurs, you know, this is a solution they'll likely need for the life cycle of their business. So I think that's exciting. And I think it adds a new dimension where, you know, if I was sort of looking at Aloha as a early stage startup solution that, as we discussed, potentially maybe an enterprise, once it's sort of matured enough, may not mm-hmm. sort of it may be able to bring on its whole own stack of developers and you know bring that all in house. This is a solution that could that could really, I think, run the distance with with enterprise or with agency or solopreneur solar solopreneur. There we I go. always mess that one up <laughs> with solopreneur clients. Is that kind of how you guys are thinking about it as well? That's uh that's our vision, but you know we're we're pretty biased. <laughs> love it, love it. Um, well, David, this has been amazing. I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on. I think Aloha yeah. sounds like it's on some on some really exciting stuff. Um, Thank you. Curious just about your kind of. Uh, I saw that you did your undergrad at Vanderbilt, so you definitely spent yeah. some time in Nashville. Uh, but you're love obviously in Chicago. I mean. Yeah, I think I've been to Nashville. It, you, uh, hard, I think you'd be hard pressed to find people who don't absolutely love a trip to Nashville and uh, one of the best places in the country. But curious about your kind of experiences with Chicago, kind of being an entrepreneur here in Chicago, how you found this sort of startup community to be. Yeah, it is 
awesome. It, it honestly blew my expectations out of the water. Um, and it, like, I, I mean that so genuinely. You really only hear about like the San Francisco's of the world being for, for tech and startups. But what the world is now recognizing is that you don't need to live in a city where the minimum weight or where the poverty line for an average family of four is $120,000 and you can have uh, live in an actual apartment and enjoy a city and work on a startup. The community here is fantastic. So I'm, I'm a part of 1871. I'm a member and mentor there. The 1871 community is brilliant. They're, it's it's interactive, it's engaging, and it, it becomes pretty tight-knit. Like you get to know the people and it's it's an up-and-coming market too. Like people are continuing to move in this direction. I know that the VC space here hasn't necessarily been something that people look fondly upon. It's, it's pretty difficult to get funding in Chicago, but that narrative is continuing to change as well as, as there's more startups coming here. Um, you're slowly seeing more investments being made here. So it's it's an awesome, I mean, Chicago is a great city, but the entrepreneur community has has truly blown me away. Alloa would would not be where we are if it, if it wasn't for 1871 and all of the connections and the relationships that I've made through the, the entrepreneurial space here. I mean, it's clearly been such a great experience for you if, you, you know, you chose to come back and be a mentor or chose to, chose to sort of participate as a mentor. Curious about that decision and, uh, and how you found that experience. Yeah, it's been awesome. Just get to talk with founders, startups, people who are doing cool stuff. It's, it's just fun. You know, again, it's just like, it's like a real life lemonade stand. I just, you just, you just get to try to build stuff. And if, if something fails, well, cool. Then you just try again. You figure out, you know, how, how to go about it better the next time. Get more lemons. Um, yeah, exactly. Just go buy more lemons. So it's it's been awesome. It's been fun. I I love chatting, you know, about startups. I love helping people. And so it's been a, a great experience of just getting to know other founders out there. You know, I, I see where they're at in their company in those early stages. I remember being there with Aloa um and with, you know, some some previous uh a previous startup that I was I was working on before Aloa. And it's just great to try and, you know, shed insight and, and be a resource however I can. That's awesome. David, thank you so much for coming on the show. I have to tell listeners, they won't be able to see this, but you have this unbelievable Chicago life-size photo, not life-size, <laughs> massive photo on his back wall. So he's, oh, yes. I mean, it's 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 amazing. So he really does live, breathe the Chicago startup community, uh, Chicago startup ecosystem. David, thank you so much for hopping on Chicago Capital. We can't wait to watch what's next for Aloha. Thank you. Very much appreciate it. If you are a founder seeking venture capital investment at the pre-seed through Series A stage, check out Manifold Group. We're a venture holding company based in Chicago with offices in Dallas, Los Angeles, and soon Atlantic Canada. We believe early stage private investments represent an excellent investment opportunity, but existing investment models in the space leave much to be desired. Manifold is a new model for growth in the new economy designed to create and capture value at the early stage through synergies across its venture fund, incubation and acceleration studio, and advisory firm. Learn more about Manifold at www.manifold.group. And please tune in for the next Chicago Capital episode.